0: to begin with an apology tonight, because last week I mentioned that we would be in chapter 6, but that would mean we'd be skipping the end of chapter 5, which I don't, I don't want to do that. So blame it on the baby brain or just plain forgetfulness, but I am sorry. So the end of Judges chapter 5. Okay, that works for me. So we're going to hopefully be finishing up tonight, uh, this, this chapter, but we don't want to skip the end of this chapter because it has something important to teach us about our Lord and His character one of his attributes specifically, and it's done in the context of events which transpired in the fourth chapter and is sung about here in the fifth chapter. At the end of the fourth chapter, we learn that God had victory over Sisera through jail. And, but we learn something else here at the end of chapter five through special revelation, which turns out to possibly be a bit of mockery on behalf of Deborah as well. And what we see essentially is a tale of two women. In this passage that we have for us tonight, a tale of two women. Two women are contrasted, and in that, a way of righteousness is contrasted with a way of injustice, a way of sinfulness, and a way of wickedness. So let's read our text, and we'll ask God in prayer to bless our time in His Word. The reading of the Word of the Lord, beginning at verse 24 in Judges chapter 5, reads, Most blessed woman be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Of tent dwelling women most blessed, he asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg, at her right hand to the work, workman's mallet. She struck Cicero. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Cicero wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princesses answer, Indeed, she answers herself, Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man, spoil of dyed materials for Sisera, spoil of dyed materials embroidered, two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. So that ends the the reading of God's holy, inspired, and sufficient word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you plan to teach us through your word tonight. And we ask that you would help us to be able to understand it rightly. Help me to rightly handle your word, Lord. We, we don't want to have the focus on ourselves in so much as the areas that we need to change to be conformed to Christ. But really we want the focus on you so that we may see you in all of your, your beauty, all of your glory and desire to worship you all the more. Please help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So then, a tale of two women. I hope you saw that in the text. We're introduced to this portion of a song that will now focus on Jael's work, on her part in this victory that God brought to Israel. And there's, you notice perhaps there's not a single mention of Barak at this junction. It is as Deborah prophesied, the glory, the final glory especially, would not go to him, but it would go to a woman. And then in contrast to Jael, we meet for the first time the mother of Sisera. Sisera was the general of Jabin. Remember, um, Jabin is the king of Canaan. And we are given a glimpse of what it must, must have been like for her as she awaits for her son to return from battle. Deborah was either made aware of this by a special revelation from God, or it was simply because the Israelites were very familiar with how the Canaanites operated. And so this is how she's just thinking how Sisera's mom is acting. Both are plausible. And then the song ends with a final prayer, a, dox- a doxological statement, and a resetting of the judges' cycle. And this is, you know, the, the gospel according to Judges. So first, our attention is put on jail. In a tale of two women, she gets the primary attention. She's mentioned first. She's mentioned before Sisera's mom. And it begins right, before, right away by calling her blessed. It actually says it two times. Uh, she's the most blessed of women at the beginning of verse 24. Then at the end of verse 24, our attention is brought to the fact that she's of the tent dwelling women most blessed or most blessed. Why the distinction? Why mention that she's a tent-dwelling woman? Why not just say the same thing over again? Well, the song is highlighting the fact that she's not a warrior. She's not about the business of killing tyrants as a vocation. Uh, Killing high-ranking generals is not something that Jael normally did with her spare time. She was not a warrior. She was a a tent-dwelling woman. She lived a life, a home life. She took care of her family in the home. There's nothing shameful about that. It was honoring to the Lord. Uh, Pastor John Gill notes this. He says, This being a proper description of a woman whose character it is to abide in her tent, dwell at home, and mind the business of her family, and may have respect to the manly action she performed in her tent, equal, if not superior, to what was done in the field. So the point being that this thing that she did was really great, but the fact that she was a tent you know, she, she, she was a homebody. She was a woman who took care of the family. That's even greater than the fact that she ended Sisera's life, or equal to, if not superior, is what Gil's saying. And so the, of all the women who took it upon themselves to stay home and care for the tent and the matters in the tent, people who weren't expected to do the kind of thing that Jail did, she was the most blessed of them all. That doesn't mean women couldn't do other things, of course. It's just saying that of, of those who were like her, that's how it, how it was. So there's high praise for her here. This action she took in driving the tent peg into Sisera's temple, into his skull, is not something that any Israelite would have looked down upon her for not doing, right? She wasn't expected to do that. she That's not something that, you know, most anybody would have thought she would have done or was expecting her to do. It's just something that she did, something that she did for righteous reasons. She acted in accordance with God's justice, and we'll talk about that later. So she's counted as the most blessed above all women. Now We need to think of what that means. What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? In one sense, it simply means to be Christian, It means to be one who is chosen of God, foreknown by God, loved of God. Think of the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. There, Jesus mentions a list of things. You guys remember what they're called? These blessed statements. They're the Beatitudes. They're eight separate statements that paint a picture of what a Christian looks like, the character of a Christian, the character of one who's saved. And then they also tell of the reward that that person has for being blessed this way. And mind you, it's not that you have to do these things. We'll read them here in a sec. It's not that you have to do these things to be, become a Christian, but you do these things because you are a Christian. You are, you are this way because you have been saved. And so Jesus ends up saying this. You could turn to Matthew chapter 5 if you keep your finger there in Judges. Let's just read it. At verse two, it says and he, meaning Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted you for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so every Christian, every Christian in any age, day, you know, so even here um, in Judges, can rightly and should consider themselves as blessed. Today, all the way to Christ's return, we should consider ourselves that way because of who Christ is and what Christ has done to us. It doesn't mean that you're better than anyone else. Not at all. It simply means that God's favor is on you because of Christ. And if you trust Christ here tonight and you think to yourself, well, that list doesn't really describe me. If you think to yourself, well, I'm not really meek. I never hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm not poor in spirit. But yet you call yourself a Christian. Then you need to figure out why that is. You need to figure out why, why is that the case. And talk to me about it later. Talk to one of the, uh, talk to your parents. Talk to any of these adult, adults that are here to minister to you. That's why we're here, really, because we want you to be certain about your relationship with, with the Lord. And we want you to be sure that Christ is your Savior. Or maybe you say, oh, well, I, I trust Christ, but really I could, I could stand to hunger and thirst for righteousness more. Or actually, no, I'm not very weak. Well, again, these aren't the types of things that you have to do to become saved these aren't the things you do to earn your salvation. These are gifts that God gives to us when he does save us. So pray to grow in these areas. Ask others to pray for you as well in your small group times. You know, you have time to ask for prayer requests. You can ask for, you should be asking for spiritual things at those times. Asking your fellow Christians to pray for you that you would grow in Christ and be more conformed to him. I know sometimes it's hard to think of prayer requests, but really it shouldn't be that hard. Now, there's another way that we might understand why Jael is called blessed here as well and why any Christian therefore, therefore may also be called blessed. Psalm 112 talks about the life of a righteous man. And remember, uh, Jael's actions here weren't criminal at all. It was righteous for her to do this, to, to kill Sisera. It was God's justice on Sisera and Canaan. And so Psalm 12, 112 speaks of a righteous man and it says this in verse two, his offspring will be mighty in the land the generation of the upright will be blessed so to be upright means to be faithful to the law of god it means to obey god it's a person who doesn't attempt to hide from the lord but instead has a right fear of the lord and lives in such a way that glorifies glorifies him because you love him and certainly here what we see in this song that is this inspired scripture of this song in judges chapter 5 is that Jael and her action against Sisera, she did no evil. She did what was righteous. She was upright. And now here we have a song of inspired scripture about her to testify to her action and her choice. And she is called blessed. So your choices matter. I remember we talked about that last week. Now let's look at verse 25 here in chapter 5. Here's where we begin to get into the justice that was administered to Sisera. You remember from chapter 4, I hope, that when he got to her tent, he asked her for some water. But that's not what Jael gave him. She gave him um, what it says here in the text, milk, and then also some curds. We won't get into those details because we talked about that a little bit over a month ago. But there's a point of application here that we should see. When it comes to matters of justice, matters of what is true and what is in accordance with righteousness, sometimes we need to give someone what they don't want, but what in fact they need. Cisera asked for water. But Jail gave if Jail gave him what he asked for, would he have fallen asleep? Uh, he might have. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Or another possibility, if she gave him water, would he have felt as secure and been able to just, you know, go to sleep there that he did. We discussed that a few weeks ago too, how it was that she gave him the milk and curds in, in the in a noble's bowl. Do you understand what uh, what a noble is? It's a it's a person of respect. And authority, and so it's a dish that you wouldn't break out for just anybody. And so here's Jail, she gives him this milk and these curds and this noble's bowl, and it probably puts him at ease. He thinks he's at a friend's house. And she was probably um, you know, taken off of guard and also lending to his coming, coming death. So, whatever the reason is that Jail uh, did this, perhaps a combination of both, she didn't give him what he asked for, but she gave him. What was needed for the sake of truth and righteousness. And you will certainly find yourself in situations like this as you live the Christian life in a fallen world. It is common, it is super common today for people to deny the word of the Lord in the name of love and goodwill for others. So you have people today saying things like, well, God saves everyone. And everyone, it doesn't matter if you confess Christ or not, God will just save everybody. They say things like homosexuality or being sexually engaged in a relationship outside of marriage are things that God doesn't really care about, actually. And so you don't have to worry about those. They're not actually sins. And some people, what they do is they cite love and compassion as their reason for telling a person this. That they'll encourage them in these sins. They'll support them in their sins. They give them what they ask for. But... If you truly love them, if you were to be truly loving and honor God, then you would really need to give them what they need and what is necessary for justice and for God's glory, just like Jail did here. You need to tell the person that God doesn't approve of those things. They ask for an affirmation of something, but you can't do that because what God calls wicked and unrighteous, you can't sit there and say that they're called good, even though that's what they want to hear. You have to tell them what is, what they actually need. And they may not like you for doing so. Uh, you, You risk losing them in your life. You risk them making fun of you or trying to harm you even. But obeying God is more important. Remember the last beatitude, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. If you stand up for what is true and right, and you don't give in to what people say that they need, but you instead stand for truth and righteousness, you'll have that type of reaction against you eventually. So sometimes justice means giving someone what they need, not what they ask for, regardless of the risk that that puts you in. Think of the risk of jail at this account. What if Sisera woke up while she's walking towards him with this mallet and this, this tent spike? Yeah. The risk of her own death and bodily harm was worth it to her though because God's honor and glory is always worth it. Then verse 26 to 27, here's where we see the justice of God on display and more on that later again. It's the death penalty. That's what's happening here with Sisera. He's been judged by God. The judgment is death. Sisera has committed treason against the Lord and his people and he's not repentant about it and He receives death as his reward, and it's graphic, isn't it? I mean, it says crushed his head, shattered his temple, between her feet he sank, he fell. It's graphic, but let's not miss the reality here. It's sung as the triumph of the Lord. This is God's victory. It's his wrath on display, and it's reminding us of the reality that one day justice for everyone will be met. That before God recreates the heavens and the, and the earth of which the promised land was restored to in um, Israel was a type of, before Christ's second coming is when he'll do that, he'll administer his justice upon all who don't trust him and upon all the fallen angels. And the only way any of us can avoid a death much worse than that was felt by Sisera right here, and mind you, it was graphic, any, any, the only way that we can avoid an eternal hell is by trusting Christ for salvation. That means repenting of your sins and seeking forgiveness for them and finding that forgiveness in Christ alone. You can't earn that salvation, but those who are poor in spirit will desire it and Christ is happy to give it to all who ask for it in faith. So now we need to look at this other woman in our text before we address the final verse. We're not going to give her much time, but I wanted to point out to you all the wickedness of the Canaanites here because maybe we're inclined to think that this whole situation is is too much, Maybe we're inclined to think that this whole situation is makes God seem out to be this monster, like the Canaanites didn't deserve this, that God was unwarranted, um, that maybe he should have just gave the Canaanites more, Canaanites more chances. Well, rest assured, God was patient with these parties. Jabin, king of Canaan, had subdued Israel for 20 years, remember? Uh, God was certainly patient, to which the Israelites probably didn't like. They probably were, you know, begging those who had faith, those who missed the favor of the Lord. They were probably begging and praying and pleading throughout the time period for God to redeem them, to save them, and to take them out from under the judgment of the Canaanites. But the time for judgment was now, after these 20 years, and and they deserved it. Now, paying attention to here, this is the mother of Sisera and her princesses talking. Deborah's saying that they're talking. Generally speaking, what do we think of mothers? What, what characteristics are common to moms? Not that all moms are this way, of course, but generally, right? Like moms would be overprotective, overprotective loving, caring. Your mom's here tonight, Carly. What type of characteristics do moms <laughs> have? And be very careful before you say anything. Don't say what you just whispered in my ear. Compassionate. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so what's happened is that Cicero hasn't come back from battle. And so his mom is worried. And that's typical mom behavior. Uh, you're, you're out past your curfew. Mom and dad are both up waiting for you. Dad is, is likely to be more upset at you than mom is because you were disobedient. Mom is likely to be more worried for your safety than dad is, though both experience those feelings at a level. But this is where all motherly instinct of hers departs. She's wondering why she doesn't hear hoofbeats, why she doesn't see his mighty chariot. Hoofbeats, the, the, the horses coming in, you know? Hoof. Uh, why, why she doesn't see his mighty chariot. And rather than ponder the idea that he was defeated in battle, because remember the odds of that happening were like impossible if it wasn't for the act of Yahweh and causing through his providence uh, the rain to come, the, the river to swell up and flood there in, in Megiddo and clogging up the chariots. There was a, it was a sure victory for them. So mom assumes that Sisera and the soldiers are celebrating. Mom and the princess assume that they're just celebrating. That's why they're not back yet. They're looting and taking the fine things from their enemies like they usually do, which we read in verse 30. This is what the Canaanites did. But they do something much worse than that. And the mom and the princesses just brush it off like nothing. Like, and just to show you, that's, this is how hard their hearts were. This is how much, excuse me, sin had corrupted them. Look at verse 30, okay? There in the, it's kind of, in the way it's written, it's kind of like a song, the third line. It says, a womb or two for every man. You see what's being said here, right? You know what a womb is? It's where babies grow. This is evidence of the evil of the Canaanites. And it's not new or unique to them. But many other evil militaries and nations operated like this. But the sad thing about this is this is a mom saying this just so nonchalantly, not even batting an eye at it, this mom, this group of princesses, who should identify with, with these women that they're talking about. The Canaanites would, would rape the women of the land. They would treat them as, as if they weren't even human, just simply objects for their own desires. They had dehumanized them. And the Canaanite women weren't even bothered by it. And they just, oh, they're late. They're probably out raping people. This is what happens to people when they indulge their sin without the grace of the Lord to restrain them. You become so depraved that something as wicked as this is not even a big deal. Canaan had this judgment coming, and it serves to us as a warning as well. We need to turn from our sin now. You don't want to keep indulging your sin. You don't want to keep giving in to your sin because When you do something like that, you become so deaf to your own conscience that you're not even bothered by what should bother you. Turn from your sin, whatever it is, big or small, turn from it today and look to Christ. And then lastly, verse 31, a closing prayer slash doxology to close the song. They sing, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. If you notice in your Bible, Lord is all caps and capital letters. It's the name of God, the proper name of God, Yahweh. That's right Why there. Is the o capitalized too? They all are because it's when in the Hebrew it's Adonai. and So they don't want to write I am. It means Yahweh. It's the proper name of the Lord. Whenever you see in your Bible capital L-O-R-D all four of them capitalized. No, I mean the, the oh, it's the start of a sentence. It's a, it's a, it's a it's title, a O Lord. Right yeah, it's, it's a title, O Lord. That's just proper English. But anyways, the point being that we should ask ourselves, is it wrong to sing that? Is it wrong to sing, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord? Would that be weird? You see, I know that we're conditioned today to think primarily about the love of God, so much so that God's other attributes are eclipsed, but God is a just God. He will punish wickedness. It has either been punished on Christ or we as individuals will feel the just wrath of God ourselves. And so I hope it's not wrong to sing that line. Because if it is, that means we disagree with God, because God is going to do that to his enemies one day. They'll be thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death, eternal death. So Revelation twenty ten says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they, were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then Revelation 21.8 and this is talking about people. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. So to think that the end of this prayer is not good for us to pray is essentially to say that God's plan is not good. And it needs to be balanced because we need to remember that even for those of us that are here today that are trusting in Christ for salvation, we were at one time the enemy of God, yet God had mercy on us. So we can pray for mercy and for grace for people, but we need to understand that God's wrath is never misplaced and it's never wrong. Uh, further, Jesus himself teaches us to pray this way. Do you guys remember the, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer? Does anyone have that memorized? How does it start? Our Father in heaven. Hall- be your name, your kingdom come. Okay, let's stop right there. Your kingdom come. So it's one of the first things in there. It's the second petition, technically. Your, your kingdom come. Have you ever thought about what it means to say your kingdom come? It includes this, doesn't it? We don't have to say um, to pray this prayer after Christ's second coming because his kingdom will have came fully, completely. It'll be consummated. Uh, Notice what the Heidelberg Catechism says about this petition in the Lord's or Disciples' Prayer. So the question it poses is what does the second petition mean? The second petition is your kingdom come. And the answer says it means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve your church and make it grow. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force with which with, excuse me. Destroy every force which revolts against you, and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do this until your kingdom fully comes, when you will be all in all. Now, there are two ways in which God may destroy every force which revolts against Him. It's either through salvation, when we die to ourselves and we're united to Christ, or it is in God destroying His enemies in the way that we talked about in those passages from Revelation. It's the outflow of his justice. Some people think that wrath is an attribute of God. I don't think that it is. Uh, A lot of the Reformed don't list wrath as an attribute of God. Certainly God has wrath and we need to talk about that. Uh, We're talking about it now even. But wrath is merely the outflow of God's justice against sin. Wrath isn't an eternal attribute that God possessed because what is called wrath is the response of God's justice. It's what John Owen calls his perfect rectitude to sin in the world. But it's not an attribute of God. God is a just God. He has always been just, doing what is right and good. And there was a time before when sin entered, before when sin entered the world in which the wrath of God was not known. There was, a, there was a time when there was no reason for it. But now that sin abounds the wrath of God is upon those who have sin as their master. So, wrath is simply the outworking of His justice, and not properly an attribute. But but make no mistake, it exists. Uh, we don't want to say that He became wrathful either, because God doesn't change, right? One of His other attributes is that God is is immutable. He doesn't change. So, justice is simply the the response that God has towards sin. Uh, remember Ephesians two. Uh, Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So even people who are saved today and now, they were at one point children of wrath. So, if those, so for those who aren't the enemies of God, there is no wrath. Because justice was met upon the cross of Christ. There all the just wrath of God towards your sin, if you believe, was poured on Jesus. And the result is the next phrase in in verse 31 here in Judges chapter 5. Is that we would be his friends who would be like the sun as he rises in might. No longer under wrath, but now a friend. John or Jesus says in John fifteen, fifteen, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And for that, all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And truly, even more than friends, actually, uh, we, because of this good news that Christ took the wrath that we truly deserved, Are even more than friends now, but we are adopted into God's family. Those who trust in Christ are no longer under the wrath of God, but they are sons and daughters through faith. That's why this song, which deals with some rough subject matter, is worth singing. It's worth reading. It's worth studying. It's worth meditating upon, because the wrath of God is right, and because it also reminds us of the reality that Jesus took the wrath that we deserve, and justice was met for us. Listen, if you're not trusting Jesus, the wrath of God is still upon you. You have to understand that. That's the the clear message of Scripture, is that if you're not trusting Christ for salvation, if you have not yet repented of your sins, the wrath of God is upon you. And He will act justly. And so I ask you to turn from your sin. Turn from your sin and trust Christ for forgiveness. And if you are trusting Christ for forgiveness of your sin, yet you're indulging... The very sins that caused the wrath of Almighty God to be poured out upon the Son, then turn from that too and pray for holiness. Pray for the grace to be able to live upright, so that you can rightly say, in both ways discussed earlier, that you're blessed. That's what happened here, and that's why our text ends with the resetting of the Judges' cycle. The land gets rest for 40 years now, but it's temporary, it's not eternal. It's a type of the true rest. True rest is being found in Christ and trusting Him. That's where the true rest of God is, where you can be secure under the the shelter of the Almighty. So don't put that off. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are just, that you are not a capricious being, who might act in any way, but you are faithful, you are true, and righteous, and holy. All that you do is right, and even the display of your justice against sin, your wrath is holy, and it is right. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand these things, and that you'd help us to comprehend them personally in our own lives, that we might think of you rightly, and we might not live in a way that would bring you shame or or dishonor. We praise you for the mercy that is found in Christ. We know that we're no better than the Canaanites. Uh, We are no more righteous than them, apart from uh, your work in our lives. But we So we thank you and we praise you for coming to us in kindness, for causing us to hear your voice, Jesus, in, in your word. And we pray that you would help us to love you and to trust you, all the more, and that we would think about you rightly and exalt you in all that we say, do, and think. And we pray this all in Christ's name, amen.